0: This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people in all sorts of situations who've successfully adopted. Each episode is also hosted by recognisable voices who are sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit www.youcanadopt.org dot now enjoy the episode hello you're listening to you can adopt podcast series with me annie price today we're exploring the unique challenges and rewards of adopting a child of a different race or ethnicity sadly children of black asian and minority ethnic backgrounds often wait longer to be adopted i myself was adopted as a baby when i was four months old I was born into a gypsy traveller family. My biological mum was white Irish. Her husband was white English. And I came out black, so it put her in a difficult situation. All the authorities at the time thought, because of my colouring and my hair, they believed me to be half Afro-Caribbean. So when, four weeks later, I showed up at the hospital with third-degree burns to my face my head, both of my hands and my arm. The authorities thought that the fire was intentional and my mum tried to kill me. Now, whilst my mum's husband did try to keep me, they thought that it was best that I was taken into care. So at four weeks old, I was put into foster care. I was placed with a white family and... Although they wanted to try and keep me, back then they didn't like having interracial adoption. So they were really holding out for a black family, ideally Afro-Caribbean. But because I couldn't be placed and after six years of no luck of finding a nice shiny family, I was able to stay with my foster family and I grew up in a white family with my uh, older brothers and sisters who are biological to, to my mum and uh, her husband. Today, we're going to talk to Shama along with her husband Howard, who have adopted four children. The first two children were adopted in 2012, the third in 2013, and most recently, at the end of 2019, a fourth child, so just seven months ago. Shama herself is half Indian and half white British. Howard is half South African, half white British. Three of the four children are full biological siblings and are half Iranian, half white British. The fourth, a half sibling, is three quarters white British and a quarter Jamaican. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and sharing some thoughts and feelings that I myself have had growing up as an adopted child and a different ethnicity to my mum and dad. Thank you for joining me today, Shama. Thanks very much for having me. First and foremost, please tell us a little bit about your family and what led you and your husband, Howard, to consider adoption.
1: Um, Before we started talking about definitely having children, we talked about it in the abstract. And I was a teacher. I was very, very happy teaching and very much loved the kids that I was teaching with and Mm. always thought that if there was any reason that we couldn't have children biologically, I would find it really easy to love a child that didn't come from my body, but, you know, was kind of the love was born in my heart. So we talked about that. Howard did also, as we kind of went further down our journey, found out that biologically it was going to be hard for us, uh, how he had friends and colleagues who had had IVF and it had been, really hard on them physically and emotionally, um, really kind of disrupted the marriage and the balance of the marriage. So we decided right from the outset that if it didn't happen for us biologically, then the Mm. way that we wanted to go was adoption.
0: And when you started the journey, what
1: were you worried about when you, you
0: know, initially started thinking, like, yeah, this is the route we want to take, we want to adopt? Um,
1: I think we didn't have any big worries about not having a birth child it being different i think our worries were about how other people would react to our children we worried that other people wouldn't see them as our own or other people might see them that they were as sort of less than when to us they were always kind of going to be more than so our worries were kind of more around how our family and sort of wider friends would see that but actually they were really really good they were really Brilliant. excited for us
0: it's a wonderful journey to be able to go on I think um at the beginning stages did you have a
1: picture of the kind of you know of the child that you had in mind to adopt um when we first started talking about having children I did have a picture in my mind I always imagined a little girl with big brown eyes and lots of brown hair and kind of how I looked and my sisters looked when I was little. And part of the process is letting go of the idea that you had of this kind of idealized birth child, which probably wouldn't be healthy if you had a birth child anyway. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, letting go of that so that you're ready for whoever comes and kind of just as it happens, our oldest daughter, our first child, was exactly that, this beautiful little one-year-old with huge brown eyes, really sparkly, lots of little brown hair and just the most lovely face. Um, And so from the second that I saw a photo of her, I was absolutely blown away. That's so lovely. It's so wonderful. Um, So did your child's ethnicity matter to you?
0: Obviously it kind of worked out the picture that you wanted, but would you have felt differently if they'd looked different, do you think?
1: I mean initially when we were talking about it we were thinking about it from the child's perspective because from our perspective we felt that we could love a child from any ethnicity Mm. um, and it didn't matter. I did want um, them to feel like that they had control over who was asking them about their story. So Mm. you know if you're out and about I didn't want because strangers do say some quite blunt odd things to people sometimes so Definitely. I didn't want people coming <laughs> <one>. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so I didn't want people randomly sort of coming up in the street and saying you know are you babysitting is you know where's your mum and dad that sort of thing I wanted them to feel like uh, you know when they had the choice of when they told their story that's good. No, I understand that completely. I still get to this day because I'm sort of
0: quite dark-skinned. My son's come out quite white, and uh, <laughs> a lot of people always ask if I'm the nanny. <laughs> uh, if I don't fancy talking, I do often say, yeah, yeah I'm the nanny. Um, <laughs> you said that you were sort of concerned about the people around you more um, when you first started adoption. Would you say there was any assumptions or expectations from your family and friends that you would adopt a child from the exactly same background as you?
1: I think... A lot of people didn't have an idea of what modern day adoption is like. So a lot of people were kind of mentally in their heads thinking of the old stereotype of like the sort of Catholic baby um, born out of wedlock with only a handkerchief to their name. So I don't think that they they sort of realised what current adoption is like. And as we talked to them and explain to them as we were learning on our prep group and throughout our training we kind of passed on what we were learning and I think a lot of people didn't know beforehand and they just kind of learned along with us so by the time we got to the stage when we were talking about matching with children you know they they would kind of got that knowledge already mm. And, you know,
0: race is obviously a big thing, but were you concerned about the sex as well? Did you think, right, I really want a girl, or really want a boy, or were you open?
1: No, not at all. Um, I think I wanted a girl just because I worked in a girls' school, I've got lots of sisters. It wasn't really important to me, but you know, I, I thought it would, that was the child that I pictured in my head. And equally, I think my husband who went to a boys' school and has brothers and did lots of cricket and football and all of that sort of thing, you know, I think when he imagined parenting, he imagined parenting a little boy. So, you know, we both kind of had that in our heads, but neither of us had a preference, and we've actually ended up with two of both. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: really lucky. Very well. <laughs> you are of Muslim backgrounds. How important is it... Um
1: is your child's religion to you? Well, we were brought up in my family with uh, my dad, who had a Muslim background, but was lapsed, and my mum, who had a Christian background, that was lapsed. So we were brought up with aspects of both cultures, but it wasn't expected that we would follow any sort of religion. And so we've all kind of grown up quite agnostic, So in terms of religious background, I guess our concern was that we didn't want to be asked to um, to sort of take on a religious background for our child. So if there's a child that there was, uh, you know, a definite preference that they would be brought up as Muslims or Christians or Catholics or Buddhists or or whatever, that would be something that we would struggle to do because it's not the way we naturally live our life. Um, but with our children, they were born into a similar sort of setup where their father had muslim heritage um and the mother didn't really the birth mother didn't really have um a sort of a religious heritage so the the desire from social services was that they were brought up with an understanding of both cultures um and could and we felt that we could do that because that's kind of our experience as well, and then to be open to letting them choose whatever path they wanted to take. So we celebrate different festivals. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Eid. We celebrate like the Iranian festival of Neroz, which is like the Persian new year. And so we kind of give them access to their culture and we read different books about it and we talk about it and we celebrate. Um, But we kind of very much telling them as they're getting older and asking questions about, different things that they learn you know that it, it's kind of up to them to find their own path and we will support whichever path they choose to take. Um, so after you got over the line and you made the decision to adopt did you have any
0: reservations once you know the boards start rolling did you have any reservations about adoption?
1: I think I was just really excited about getting started Um, like I said it felt like we were on a, a forwards journey you know, at the at the very beginning, and it just it just seemed like a um, a new start. Hmm. And who instigated
0: adoption between you and your husband, or you equally? I think to it start? was
1: an evolving conversation. I don't think at any point one of us said, "Hey, let's adopt," and the other one said, "Oh, I'm not sure. Tell me about that." I think yeah. it was just an ongoing conversation, and we both got to it. I think. I'm the natural researcher in our relationship. So I think I'd read a lot about it before we got to the point where we decided to to sort of make some calls. Um, So then my husband was the one who went to the open evening to Mm. sort of meet some social workers, learn a bit more about the process and kind of get a bit of a feel for it. What did he say about it? he he quite enjoyed it so he came back he said they were sort of friendly they were open he got to ask a lot of questions I guess our worry was around ethnicity not of the child's but of ours because we're Mm. quite a random mix of ethnicities um I guess our worry at the beginning was they would kind of look at us and say oh no we don't have anyone that matches your exact ethnicity so you can't adopt and then when he spoke to social workers and they sort of said no we try to if possible match within the same ballpark but you don't have to be an exact match that was quite a relief Mm, I bet um I think I can my mum can relate
0: so we she it was the same kind of thing very organic way um that led her into adoption she actually went to just foster um at the start and my dad is, or her husband is Irish, one of seven big family. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted more kids and they have two biological, so <clears throat> two of their own children. Um, and my dad wanted more kids. My mum wanted more kids, but she didn't want to actually carry any more of her own. She felt that there's loads of kids out there that needed help. And the, and the, and the idea was to sort of foster thinking, I think as well, that they, you know she wouldn't be matched that well or, or you know all these different things. Um, but I was actually the first one that they got. And um, I'm sure, as you know, when you're given Mm -hmm. one child, especially a baby, you know, it's very hard to then want to give them up. So as soon as she had me, they they decided they did want to
1: adopt, but it took quite a while. Yeah, we've had three different foster carers and two of them have children that they've come into foster care and they've not. Wanted to move on. <laughs> oh, really, I could. Do you know what I could only imagine. I really could. I think
0: when you give that level of care to someone, and whatever whatever way you cut it, you know, even if you know they've got to go, your heart sort of opens up and lets someone in. I, I can't imagine yeah. having to close that door, and then for the rest of your life to be like, oh, wonder how they're getting on.
1: Yeah, um, we're very much in touch with our foster carers. They're an important part of our children's history, and we very much want to keep that alive. That's so
0: nice. That's that's actually genuinely the first time I've ever heard anyone say they want to do that. That's really, really wonderful, I think. Um, let's move on and talk about the actual process, because I know that a lot's changed in recent years, certainly from when I was adopted. And the process now is a lot quicker. I think it's typically around six to nine months now. Um, you've adopted four children and been through the process three times because the first time around you're you adopted siblings how did you find the
1: adoption process the very first time round the first time round um we found it quite hard because I think emotionally it was far more charged because you know never done it before it was I felt like I was putting my fate in somebody else's hands and your social worker writes a very very long report after several interviews of who you are and it it just felt quite nerve wracking it being somebody else who was representing you and who you were and whether you were sort of good enough in inverted commas to be a parent. So, you know, I very much felt um, kind of under the microscope and it made me sort of wonder whether they thought I was good enough. Whereas like the second, third and fourth times I'd learned to trust the process a lot more and when I took my anxiety out of it it's actually a much more straightforward process than you think oh really <laughs> yeah so kind of you know once you've taken away all the sort of the worries that you have and that you're putting on yourself um and learn to look at it from the social workers point of view because the first time around it was very much like I really want to be a parent I'm so desperate mm-hmm. to be a parent like what happens mm-hmm. if they don't think I'm good enough and then kind of by the time we'd come to adopt our first child and she'd lived with us and we went on to the other adoptions it was like oh wow well, this isn't about me this is about a child that really needs a home of course they've got to do all these checks and of course they have mm-hmm. to answer all these questions because a child is you know the absolute most precious thing in the world they've got to make sure that you know they they've got to close all the gaps and loopholes holes and check everything to make sure that it's okay for this child to come to you.
0: Of course, it's really understandable to be nerve wracking, um, you know, nervous about the situation. I can only imagine what it's like when you're questioned that much, and then you're kind of having to sort of second guess yourself and all the things that you've done, and think, "Oh, is this right? Am I good enough?" And and as you say, you're you're doing it off of a, a slightly shaky ground, but it's nice to know that actually, you know, it is straightforward and it you know, it can be done because I think a lot of us think the process is hard, but it seems that it's a lot. Were you aware at the time that there was? <clears throat> a lot more children waiting to be adopted from black asian and minority backgrounds
1: not in the initial stages like the initial stages were very much sort of questions about us and um you know how we were approaching the idea of parenting and our backgrounds and how that would affect the way that we parented but when we got past approval and we got to the matching stage uh, it's slightly different now because it's all done electronically but when we were approved They had two different magazines, um, one called Be My Parent and another one called Children Who Wait. And they have sort of a picture and a very basic profile of the children who are waiting for adoption. And then you could have a look at them. And if you thought you would match with one of them, you could contact their social worker and and see if the match progressed. And when we looked in those, and they were heartbreaking because you looked at all those children that needed homes Mm. and you wanted to bring them all home, um, you did realize that it was siblings and it was children of different ethnic minorities particularly mixed ethnic minorities um, that were waiting and so we you know we began to become more aware of that then were you encouraged to
0: adopt a black asian or minority ethnic uh, background
1: um we we weren't actually encouraged to adopt anyone I mean, there wasn't a push to to sort of guide us down one particular route, but I think because we were of mixed ethnicity, um, those were the children that we were naturally looking at. Um, and sort of those, and those children's family-finding social workers were looking for, if not an exact mix, possibly people who were... Of mixed ethnicity, so they would understand the challenges of being mixed race. Um, you adopted your first two children, who were siblings,
0: in 2012. The first in March, and the second in August. Yeah. What made you adopt again, and how did how did that actually come about?
1: Um, whilst we were adopting our second child in August, there were rumours that their birth mother was pregnant again. Um, they kind of looked at us and said, don't even think about it. You haven't even taken your daughter home yet. Uh, (laughs) You don't know how it's going to go. Just go home, settle. You know, your first daughter's got to get used to having a sibling. The baby, your baby daughter has to get used to being here. You have to get used to having two instead of one. Just concentrate on that. So we went away kind of thinking, you know, they would keep us in touch, but we wouldn't be able to to do anything else about it apart from maybe maintain contact if he was adopted to a different family Mm. um and then a couple of months later their social worker said would you like to have contact and so we went to visit him at his foster carer's house um and when we watched them together he was the absolute spit of my middle daughter at that age they look I mean all three of them have exactly the same hands and fingers and toes like you know you could pick them out of a million (laughs) um and they just it it really gave me a twinge because again I was kind of thinking we're we're not allowed to do this it's too soon after the next one they probably won't let us um so I was trying to kind of hold a bit of a barrier but I I did love him straight away Um, uh, (laughs) and then Uh, We met up again in the summer and we were playing and his foster carer said, look, you really, it's obvious you guys were meant to be together. Um, If you want to put in for it, I will support you and say, I think that this is where he belongs. Um, So we went home and we talked about it and we emailed our social worker to say I know you've said we shouldn't but we really want to (laughs) (laughs) Um, and she's really great what did she say she I am she has a very big heart and she has a very big soft spot for our children and she knows how happy they are because we we we've kept in touch with her with like Christmas cards and postcards and stuff like that to show her how they're doing um, and so she's like, I'd really, I like, said, I don't know whether I'll definitely be able to, but I'd really like to place him with you and with his sisters. Um, so let's do it. It's
0: so nice. Do you know what? It's so nice to get some like such good news like that. And it's like, but how did you introduce the idea of having another child to your first two? How did, what did you say?
1: Um, it's, I mean, quite different to how we've just done it because at right. the time, Our two oldest daughters were, they still weren't quite two and three, So, you know, their levels of comprehension. So we would visit our son and we'd be like, this is your little brother. And then once we knew that he was going to be coming home, we'd say he's going to come home to live with us. And we'd have pictures up and we'd talk about him and we'd read picture books about getting a new brother. And they'd be able to kind of say, oh, that's my brother. He's going to live with us and, you know, (laughs) and stuff like that. But I don't think they, you know, I don't think they can fully comprehend what it means to have another body, permanently in the house and so on so they were excited about it they did really you know they really took to him they're very very bonded you know when you come home and you've got three under three it's fairly full-on and they were a little bit cross for a while not with him but just I think just them making sure they still had our attention and they were still important and all the sorts of things that siblings worry about when a new one comes along. Um, But, you know, I very much believe that it was the best thing for our family. I think he, I mean, he has a range of different needs and he finds it quite difficult socially. So to think of him being somewhere else, where he doesn't have his siblings who do understand him and are his kind of forever playmates. You know, it makes me my blood run cold a little bit to think that that might have happened because they're so important to him. I
0: bet. I really can understand. And they're so close in age. I You know, I struggled to see why it wouldn't have been such a perfect fit, but obviously I'm not a leader. I'm not authority in that situation. But 9, 8 and 7, that's...
1: <laughs> you know, that's, that's that's probably the dream as a kid. Do you know what I mean? Like that's literally perfect playmates. It's lovely. I mean, it was very full on when they were tiny because it's very labour intensive, but it, lovely. Just like having a bag of wriggling puppies all over the place. And you know, now during especially because we're during lockdown, um, you know, my friends who have children who have big age gaps or only children, their children have been really struggling because they've got no one to play with. Whereas for us, they're a ready-made little gang. I think
0: that's wonderful, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you've you have a now uh, beautiful baby boy who's quite yeah. a bit younger to the three other kids. How did you learn about him, um, and and how you know, and that he needed to be adopted?
1: So very similar. Our uh, social worker phoned, sort of completely out of the blue, uh, to say. Birth mother is pregnant again, and I was like, oh, "Wow!" I was just kind of in the middle of my normal shopping <laughs> daily routine. That's kind of been a bit of a bolt from the blue, and it was it was very different with him because she was phoned up to say, "Like this might be a very complicated situation. He's had um, early soft markers for a syndrome called Edwards syndrome, which is a syndrome that is incompatible with life." So. I'm telling you about this, but he might not be born. He might not be, you know, he might be born and not very, live very long, or he might be born and live for a very short amount of time with very profound disabilities, Um, or he might be fine. You know, you can't do anything. So I got used to just kind of, you know, every day, just sending him a little thought to say that I hope that he was growing well. Um, and I hope that he'd be okay. And I just kind of got used to that time every day of just, just sending him a little bit of love. Um, so by the time we got the phone call to say that he was born and he didn't have Edwards syndrome, um, he just, he already seemed like a miracle. Um, and he went into foster care and, uh, you know, we sent him a little present and we had, a certain amount of time to sort of decide whether you know we had physical space for him um, within the family, and you know, and uh, and then we went forwards with it.
0: And um, did the authorities sort of say, you know, you please take him at all, or is it definitely
1: left up to you? Um. There, was, there wasn't any pressure they didn't say you know we really want you to take him and if you don't you know there, there was none mm. no, there was nothing like that um it was very much we're telling you first because his siblings are here so we wanted to give mm. you the chance to decide first um whether there is a place with his family um mm. I mean it's for me, I think because of the situation with him and because I'd spent so much time thinking about him before he was even here, I felt like we already had that bond. Um, we have talked about what will happen because the birth mother is still young enough to have other children. And our last child, I think, was her ninth. Um, wow. So there they could well be other children. And I think four is our limit. So how we will feel, talk to the children about, promote contact with if there is another child it's quite a hard thing to get your head around. Um mm. but <laughs> there is obviously there has to be everyone has their own limits and you have to work out where yours are um and you know what is the best for your family and the children who are here.
0: Yeah. And how did you introduce, once you'd known and decided that you wanted to bring them home, how did you introduce the idea to the other three kids? Um, And do they know that he's half sibling or how did you explain that?
1: Yeah, we did. So, at the moment, when children come home for adoption, they come home with a life story book that's made by social services, um, and it kind of goes through the process of when they were born, who their birth parents were, why they couldn't stay with them, um, you know, the judge making these decisions, and the social workers finding families, and them meeting us and coming home, and so on. So they all have a life story book with pictures, and we made a family one that had kind of all of their life stories all joined together. And then we added um, our youngest child onto the end to say that there is another baby and he's in foster care at the moment. He's safe. He's with a really lovely foster carer and social services have asked us to have a think about, you know, whether or not he can come home and, and live with us. And so we sort of opened it as a conversation as what do you think? So we didn't, present it as we've made this decision he's coming home we just sort of opened the discussion for them um and they all reacted in quite different ways so our oldest was delighted she was like i'm gonna have a baby brother straight away she was really excited um our youngest son at the time was hadn't entirely got his head around it but was quite excited and then our middle daughter, who's a very sensitive little soul, was very worried and she thought that we were going to give the baby her toys. Um, oh,
0: and so yeah. she had a
1: little bit of a worry and then we explained that we wouldn't. All her toys would belong to her and he would have his own toys. And then she just went off of her own accord and sorted out all her toys and sorted out the ones that were too young for her and just brought a box down and said, oh, I've, I've sorted these out, he can have these ones.
0: Oh my um, gosh,
1: that's so cute! <laughs> that is so sweet. And so, and then we started um, having WhatsApp contact with the foster carer. So she'd send us little videos of him in the bath or having a bottle or rolling around on the floor, and they'd send videos of them singing nursery rhymes or bouncing on the trampoline or <laughs> you know. And it ju- it just kind of opened up that. Conversation, and I think the videos mm. particularly helped them see him as a as a real person rather than a construct. Yeah. Um, so you know, because there's lots of books about having baby siblings, but I think actually seeing a living, moving, breathing, squeaking baby made him far more real to them. Yeah. How did it feel
0: that that little gap when you're kind of waiting for him to come to you?
1: It's it's strange because you know at that point he's you know his parents are his foster carers Mm. and he doesn't know us and we we're crazy about him but he he doesn't really know (laughs) who we are um I mean I think just because honestly life is busy like it went quite quickly and it was so exciting like every time we got a video or a new picture or new information about him and as we got closer to um, the adoption myself and Howard had sort of five play dates with him where sort of every fortnight or so we went up and we'd spend an hour in the foster carer's house playing with him um, and it just got harder and harder to leave. <laughs> the foster carer was absolutely wonderful. with just letting me linger as long as I possibly could until I had to go and pick <laughs> the children up from school. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it sometimes doesn't feel like they belong to you until you're sort of halfway through the introductions and you've done all the caring and they've started to trust you and you feel like they're more ready to come. Um, and I think maybe because of been through the process several times and especially when you know the foster carers and you know how lovely they are and that they're lovely and soft and safe and cuddled and played with and you know you think it it, they're fine until they come home
0: Mm. I was gonna ask that I mean I know what it's like having a newborn at home and you know even for me having a biological child it takes that time to bridge that gap you know like I know a lot of people say it's immediate but you know there's still a relationship you've got to build with this new young wonderful thing that you have what's that like when you have your when you had your son come home' it's, you know a young baby coming to the home is it do you think those meetings obviously they did help but you know was there still that catch phase where you felt like you needed to
1: build a connection or was it just more of a routine that you had to get into it was very I mean the we're lucky like all of our foster care has been absolutely amazing and they've had the children in really rock solid routine. So when you brought them home, um, you know, you while you're feeling a bit like I don't know how all this works, you can follow their routine step by step. And, you know, your baby knows what's coming next and you know what's coming next. And it's very reassuring and feels very safe for both of you. Um, in terms of all the children, I felt I was lucky. I know it's not like this for everybody, like birth and adopted, but I was besotted from the start um you know with my first child I bored my friend rigid talking about how beautiful her eyelashes were when they were wet and how they looked like starfish and then I was a little bit more self-aware for the others um it's right a passage that's nuclear that's fair (laughs) do you're allowed to do that um but um you know they there's there's sort of milestones that you reach with them in terms of like when they're relaxed enough to just flop out on you, you know, because even when they're little babies, when you're a different person, they don't just fit naturally. You haven't just worked out where your snuggle position is and where they feel most comfortable. And that when they're tired, where they most want to be is in your Mm. arms and, you know, that all these little milestones take a little bit of time to click into place. And I suppose maybe with your first adopted child there's more of a worry that they'll never happen because they Mm. don't happen straight away. Whereas once you've done it once, you trust that it will come and you let them do it in their own time when they're ready. And, you know, and you're just there for them whenever they need you and in whatever way they need you. Um, And it's just, it's really magical. (laughs) It is, and you know, let's face it—that's how it is for
0: all of us, and that's how you build a relationship with just about everybody. You know, you have got to allow it to take time. That's a big thing as well that you said that. I'll take that home for, um, for myself. That advice <laughs> that you let them sort of do it. I think that as parents, we try to navigate and over. You know, like we've got to make this perfect. You know, got to make this work. Um, and really, it's just allowing it to unfold naturally
1: yeah and I'm, it's fine not working a little bit <laughs> oh,
0: yeah exactly I'm being okay when fine. it goes
1: horribly wrong <laughs>
0: that's how we learn um I'm really interested in hearing about life today and how it is for you now did you um consider how you were going to include your children's culture into their lives day to day
1: Yeah, I mean, we did think about it before. And so some of the things that we thought about are day-to-day things like the inclusion of different foods, like the children's books that we look at, um, sort of the conversations we have, like music, television programmes, that sort of thing, to just try and have a balance. Um, And also something kind of as a a mixed-race child growing up myself, I remember, you know, how desperate I was for positive role models of of people who looked like me. And so I try to make sure that my children have that for themselves, but also an understanding of other races and cultures. So just kind of an exposure to a bit of everything, really. And then other things are kind of, you know, the festivals, the celebrations. We live in a very multicultural area. Their schools are very, very ethnically diverse. You know, they're not at faith schools. So in their... R e lessons they learn about everything equally as opposed to kind of having a one way um system through school so mm. we look at you know we look at a range of different things and we just try to make it like everything else with um an open conversation that they can dip into whenever they want and because of the black lives matter movement at the moment, my daughter, my oldest daughter is very interested in equality and how people are treated and, you know, and and kind of differences and similarities and celebrating differences. So, you know, things come up at different times.
0: That's so great that she's interested in that. And do you think that they're going to benefit from being part of a
1: mixed heritage family, like all of you? I hope so. I mean, I think that being mixed heritage is different to having one full heritage because you you have to sort of assimilate having different parts of yourselves and different cultures that sometimes don't always agree with each other. And Mm. you have to kind of learn as you get older to navigate that and also how people can treat you not fully belonging to either side. Um, So, you know, I think that our family is really well placed for them because all of my brothers and sisters all have mixed marriages and all have children who have mixed ethnicities as well. So, you know, in their wider family, there's a little group of 10 of them all together who are a mix of all sorts of things and it, it's their normal. Yeah, that's always
0: a good thing when there's more than one of you with difference happening, I think. So would you encourage
1: people to adopt a child from a different ethnicity? Definitely. Um, you know, the, the children that are in foster care at the moment, desperately need kind and loving homes. And also it's a really great thing in terms of, you know, we've learnt more about other cultures. We've started to, you know, we've learned a lot more about Persian culture. We've learned more about myths and legends and all the different like foods. And we're starting to think about that with our youngest and with his Jamaican heritage and how we can support that. And so, as well as you know doing something really great to support a child you're also broadening your own horizons and experiences as well so I think it's a win for everyone.
0: I agree I fully agree. One of your children has autistic spectrum disorder did you know that before you adopted them or did it develop over time?
1: No because when we adopted him he was a baby um he was sort of nine months old and meeting all his developmental milestones and you know he's on the sort of higher end of the spectrum so he is verbal he can move he can follow you know so all of the the things that a normal two to three year old sort of do you could do it's only when he got to school and he really struggled with being part of a social group and following instructions and following the kind of the play of a large group of children instead of very small targeted groups of children that that um came to the forefront so it was something that i think we would probably said that we couldn't deal with at the time um when we went through the checklist of all the things that you you can and can't cope with but i think that was more because there are a lot of misconceptions around autism and asd and what it means and what it looks like i think our concern was that we thought wrongly that you know autistic children don't really love and they don't connect to their carers and that couldn't be further from the truth um i've always known that i was adopted obviously i look completely different like the <laughs> little black
0: kids with afro curly hair and everyone else with white white and straight hair have you always told your children or do they know that they're adopted
1: yeah and we've talked to them about it since before they could talk Um, to kind of normalise it for them and also for us to kind of get used to talking about it. So we've always stayed in touch with their foster carers and we still visit their foster carers. So obviously that kind of opens that conversation about this is where you were when you were a baby, you stayed here for this amount of time, you know, they were always really lovely and they can tell you about, you know, the things that we weren't there for that we didn't see. And also what's really amazing about the foster carers is that, you know, they have had some sort of contact with their birth parents that we haven't had at all. So they can fill in some things for them and tell them some of the human things about their birth parents. Whereas a lot of the stuff on the kind of social service forms is very bleak and in, um, you know, sort of social worker language. So the stuff that they access when they're older is, is quite hard going whereas the stuff that they can talk to their foster care about, like what was their favorite color or what jumper did they have or what teddy did they buy them when they first came home from the hospital, you know, or, you know, did they used to like singing reggae to you when you were in the womb or, you know, that sort of stuff, the really human stuff that's really nice to know, Mm. um, they can fit in for them. And they, again, it's kind of an open conversation, I guess, because they've then seen um, their two younger brothers come home they've talked about their own adoptions through that and kind of seen the process from the other side and also when we meet up with their foster carers they have new little fosterlings with them that have generally moved on by the next time we see them so you know that that there's quite a lot of things that just sort of naturally trigger conversations around adoption That's how, that's exactly how I kind of, my mum handled it
0: herself. I think everything kind of naturally unfolds. I think it's not always beneficial to sit someone down and say, here's some big news. It's a nicer way to take it for them, you know, for questions to pop up. You know, I sort of used to ask lots of different questions about my heritage and my mum was always sort of quite open about everything, which I think really helps because I think when you learn it, you know, as a big a bit of a reveal, that can make you feel like it was wrong, or it's bad, or it's not.
1: Yeah, it's something for you. scary. Whereas something if it's scary, yeah. something you can talk about in the bath, then it, it can't be <laughs> that scary. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I remember my mum
0: trying to explain um, my because my dad, you know, you know my, how my dad would have looked. You know, he was afro Caribbean, and I was only little. You'll, you'll appreciate this for some of the kids today. And I was there. You know, like my mum was carrying me on on the hip. And very, you know, innocently, I would, you know, she's out shopping in the supermarket, I would point at a black man and say, Mum, is that my dad? <laughs> Obviously, she's going to die. She'd be like, mm. <laughs> um, but she went, like, yes, honey, he could have had hair like that. Let's leave. <laughs> um, but, no, I think it's always best to keep it open and, you know, and, and know that you can ask. I always knew that I could ask. You know, even if it was a different conversation, I think yeah, that's the best um, way to take it. So tell me, what, what advice would you give to anyone considering adoption?
1: I think the best thing that happened to me to really get my head around adoption was what we were talking about earlier. So when you think about it from the child's perspective, as a child that really needs parents rather than your own need to be a parent, then you're ready to adopt because you're going to understand how the process works, why it's working the way it is. And when your child comes home, you're going to be able to just focus on them and what they need rather than your needs. And it is the most amazing thing that you'll ever do. I think my children are the most amazing people in the world. They're brave, they're resilient, they're funny, they're loving. They are an absolute joy and I wouldn't change it for anything. I'm so happy to hear that.
0: i love lovely to talk to you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. 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 Thanks a lot for listening. The whole series of You Can Adopt features many different and interesting stories from adoptive families. So please do check out the other episodes. For more information, visit www.youcanadopt.co.uk and begin your own journey towards growing your family.